0: And now, totally biased media. Folks, we at Totally Biased Media have been doing this for 50 episodes. Uh, We've been at this for like a year and a half. Will
1: you insert like a sound effect here and it It was like clapping? Yeah.
0: And, you know, I just got to say, it's been 50. It feels like 48. (laughs) I mean. Man, I remember episode 49 like it was
1: yesterday. See, the the joke there for the audience is that. We recorded uh, episode 49 the day before we recorded this episode, and that's 100% totally true. And as far as you know, I'm not lying to you. Why would I lie to you? What am I getting out of this? That is such a weird and benign thing
0: to lie about.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so we've been in the recording booth for about five hours at this point, doing these two episodes back
0: to back. Yeah. Fun fact, we've actually recorded all of our episodes without any breaks in the recording. So we've just been doing this for like a year and a half straight. Well there's been no breaks in the uh,
1: recording, but I mean of course we've we've gone to work. <laughs> yeah. Like we do have jobs and whatnot. Jackson goes yeah. to he goes to school.
2: Yeah, I'm just that cool that I'm in school.
1: It's pretty annoying, I imagine, to edit where you have to cut out these just entire week's worth of garbage.
0: We decided that to celebrate making it to 50 whole episodes, that we want to talk about games that are near and dear to our hearts. Games that aren't necessarily, you know, on the cutting edge of social media trends like we normally focus on. Like when we did that episode on Sonic Adventure 2
1: which is an incredible game and i'm gonna add that to my list right now
0: so we're each gonna talk about a couple of games that are special to us uh mostly games from early in our lives uh except for jackson because his life did only start like four years ago or whatever (laughs) so hey i've got some
2: honorable mentions that are well one that is older than me
0: Oh, yeah, that's it? Hey,
1: one yeah. of my games we actually covered on the podcast, so...
0: We're basically just going to go round robin. We're each going to talk about a game, why it's special to us, why it's one that we consider one of our personal favorites, and uh, we'll just see where the conversation takes us. <laughs> so, Jackson, we're going to kick it off with you. What's the first game you want to talk about? Tell me about a game that is objectively a masterpiece a game that you and everyone else loves
2: (laughs) this game you know it's objectively a masterpiece there's never been a point in its history where even its own players despised it and that's destiny 2 which comes as no surprise because this is probably like the 50th time i've talked about this game
1: this is the first time you've talked about the game near the beginning of the episode though that's true so it's a little different
2: until the end yeah the first game we're talking about on the episode for the first time ever and hopefully the last to a
1: lot of our listeners it's the only game we're going to talk about in this podcast
2: (laughs) but yeah my 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 first one is destiny 2 this one this one has been here for a while i played i played destiny 2 even when it was admittedly awful uh which was launch and curse of Osiris, which dark days for this game and i still played it more than i should (laughs) have
1: Yeah, I remember being excited for Destiny 2 to come out because, I mean, Jordan and I, on and off, I think <laughs> it was a running joke in our family around that time that Jordan could not stop himself from buying Destiny because he <laughs> yeah, would buy yeah. it and then sell it <laughs> and then buy it again for a different console. And it happened, like, yeah. I want to think, like, four or five times.
2: <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's
1: interesting. Ever
2: since they got a uh, cross save. I have played every major expansion on a different console. <laughs> I started playing this on PS4, and through Forsaken, still played on PS4. When they got cross save right before Shadowkeep, I hopped over to the Xbox, that's where most of my friends played it. And then by Beyond Light, a year later, hopped to PC, because my friends had PCs by then, and we were like, hey, it's just better to play a shooter with keyboard and mouse.
1: We're burying the lead a little here, though, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, My My, yeah.
2: my point is... um. Came with me through a lot. <laughs> For sure. What makes For you sure. like it so much? The big thing, I mean, one of the big things, obviously, it's got to be, you know, space. I like space. There's a lot of space in this game. There's a lot of times you're just sitting in orbit doing nothing. That's that's gameplay right there.
1: Uh, Jordan, this is in this part, you should include a bunch of sound clips from the space core from Portal 2. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But... There's I want and, this yeah. podcast episode to be edited like a watch mojo video. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I want it to be unlistenable. <laughs> more so than well, our regular episodes.
1: Alright, yeah. sorry, Jackson, we keep interrupting yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But uh space, I, I really like space. This game is very obviously space and sci-fi focused, which over like ever since I started, you know, playing Destiny a lot has been something I found myself to enjoy more and more. <laughs> and i feel like i feel like there's not a whole lot of games that really like capture the the spectacle of what space can do like this game gets into all sorts of weird like cosmic being stuff that transcends space and time like i mean even the vex which is just a simple enemy type that you know when you fight they just like teleport around and shoot guns like you get into the lore of them and you find out like They were created by the darkness millennia ago, but also, they're from the future, because they can time travel, and they've destroyed whole planets, and you just, you get into a lot of deep lore that I feel no other game does so well. Like, there's obviously tons of games that have super deep lore, but a lot of them don't make it so present, and... I really like that about this game. Because, like, you don't have to know the lore. But, like any game with a lot of lore, it increases your enjoyment of it tenfold.
1: Yeah. And Bungie, they've been making games for quite a while. And they love throwing in, like, lore tidbits from really old games for some reason. (laughs) So, like, I can't wait until we find out that one of the races of aliens in Destiny 2 is, like, actually the aliens from Marathon or something like that.
0: (laughs) Or they're, like... like like they're like a future mutation of like the flood or something yeah (laughs)
1: they're gonna be like Like, destiny 2 is actually a direct sequel to pathways of darkness it turns out that that (laughs) ancient god in the pyramid did destroy the world yeah yeah
2: like you like even looking back at like halo even if even like in halo 1 like before halo 2 came out they already had a bunch of books that expanded on the lore of the game so much that like like We've all played Halo 1. We know the only thing going on there is our ship gets attacked by aliens. We land on planet, find more aliens, destroy weird planet ring, get off. It's basically all there is to it. But you dive deep into those books and uh, hour-long YouTube videos explaining those books. And you find out there's just so much more to it that you wouldn't see on the surface. That just just makes it ten times better. (laughs)
1: They want to write all this really interesting and intense lore, and then they're like, but let's put it somewhere the players are never going to find it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Which I I think that was part of the game's biggest problem for a long time. Like, up until, I'd say, probably, like, Beyond Light, a lot of, like the most interesting lore was buried so deep and i mean destiny one was
1: significantly worse where you collected trading cards in the game and then you had to go to the website to read them yeah there was nothing that you could look there was nothing you could look at like actually in the game you it was all on their website
2: well and then destiny 2 launched without anything like that i think there were lore tabs on weapons and armor and stuff but not many and it wasn't until Forsaken that there was actually an in-game lore system. But a lot of that lore wasn't really transparent until Beyond Light and Witch Queen especially. Because a big playing force in the background of all that is Savathun. And she's not even actually in the game until five years after it came out. <laughs> Which, it, it just shows that the lore is both part of the game's biggest problem and also its biggest strength at the same time.
1: Well, yeah. like we but, mentioned, the lore is not really in the game too much. what what is it about like the gameplay that you really like the gameplay itself
2: it's that it's both simple and complex at least now there's complexity to it it used to mostly just be like you know equip these weapons that you like and this armor that have these stat modifiers which even then it was fun because it has some of the best gunplay of any series i mean these are the people that made halo which is The best shooter series of all time. (laughs) Well, and I would say,
0: personally, I think Destiny feels significantly better than Halo. Like, I think... I don't think any other shooter in any genre, any style, captures just how good Destiny feels to play.
1: I think it's because Destiny gives you a lot of, like, good movement options.
0: Yeah, 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 that's for sure.
1: I mean, I would say, if I wanted to name a shooter that I think is better than Destiny, the only one that really comes to mind is Titanfall.
0: Titanfall 2. Yeah, (laughs) Titanfall 2 is... (laughs)
2: Because Destiny, even though it doesn't really show it on the forefront, it mostly uh, showcases abilities, movement, even in PvE, plays a big part. Like, you know, Hunters, you have your dodges and your triple jumps. Titans have a weird lift thing that's almost like uh, what War- uh, what Warlocks have, but still different. <laughs> and then, you know, Warlocks, you can just glide up forever. <laughs> and, and teleport all that- sometimes. Yeah, sometimes you teleport, but only on one subclass. And, uh, you know, a lot of that also just showcases how different each class is. Like, I feel like, even though this is definitely... I know the developers like to call it this a lot, but even though this is not really that much of an MMO, a big thing that I feel like a lot of MMOs do is... Your characters, the only differences are, like, you know, they're going to have different skill trees. Which, obviously, this does. But... Even just the basic things feel different to play on each class, which I think keeps them from feeling boring and makes a good, like, you know, if you're starting to get, like, sort of bored of the game, but you still want to play it, like, you can just switch over to another character and it feels refreshing just because even just your basic movement is completely different on that character.
1: Yeah, I really like how customizable your character is in Destiny, between, like, there's a million different armor pieces that you can yeah. mix and match however you want. And then on top of that, you can use... There's a thousand different shaders that you can apply to each armor piece. And now you can even apply shaders to armor pieces like individually. So you can make whatever mm. kind of monstrosity you want. <laughs> yeah,
2: you can make your Titan look like a Crayola box if you want to, which people yeah. do a lot. But then in, in the fan. gameplay,
1: like I don't think that there's like a huge... Wealth of different skills that you can equip, but every skill, at least like within a skill tree, is interchangeable, basically. Like there are four or five different grenades for even the subclasses that haven't gotten their big rework yet. <laughs> and then you can decide like how your double jump works. And there are, there are four or five options for that. And it, it's definitely a game that lets you yeah. do whatever you want <laughs> and make whatever kind of character you want.
0: And And that's not even getting into the weapons, which I think have just an incredible amount of variety. Like, the way I play Destiny 2 now is 100% different than how I played Destiny 2 at launch. Like, I use different weapon types, and I prioritize different abilities on top of those weapons. And I think, like, the way that armor stats work is a lot more interesting now and, like, gives you a lot more control over what your character is actually capable of. And there's just, there's so much on display here. But you're, like what you said at first was right, Jackson. It's simple until it's not. Like, this game, you can just equip whatever has the highest number and go with it. Or you yeah. can be incredibly meticulous and yeah. build out the perfect character with all of the right roles on all the right gear, which requires dozens and dozens of hours of grinding. And But it's also satisfying. Like, once you have all that together, it feels yeah. good to use.
2: And I feel like a lot of games that have systems like that eventually you get to the point where you have to um i'm probably gonna pronounce this wrong even though you just said it but meticulously however you say it uh build your build your build like a lot of games you eventually get to the point where everything has to be so specifically in place that if it's not it's just not gonna work while in this game even the in-game content you know raids and stuff you can go into just with a simple loadout if you want like Just equip which guns you think are best and which armor has, you know, the highest stats on it. And you're good to go. And I think that's one of the great things this game does is that it makes it to where it doesn't have to
0: be complicated unless you want it to. Well, I think we've, we've gotten into a lot of Destiny 2 already. But I do want to ask an important question that I'm sure all of our Destiny head fans are just dying to know. Uh... What's the go-to exotic gun? I mean, it's gotta be Ace
2: of Spades. It's, it's the best gun in the game. It's a, It makes things explode.
1: Are there any other uh, guns in the game that are named after famous rock songs? Probably, uh, probably. a lot. We just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my go-to exotic? Gotta be freaking... I saw the sign.
0: <laughs> yeah, rock songs. <laughs>
1: It's gotta be freaking Dancing Queen.
2: My favorite exotic
0: is Call Me Maybe. (laughs) It's getting heavier as we go. Well, that's already more Destiny talk than I think we've ever gotten into in a single episode before. So I think it's time to move on. Jason, what is the first game you want to talk about?
1: Well, my first game is, I believe, the oldest game that we have on this list. And it's also a game that it's hard to get into. I think you have to be like in a really particular mindset because, uh, well, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. My, my first game is Morrowind, Elder Scrolls Three, <laughs> And it's a game that I distinctly remember playing like on our original Xbox when we were kids. And I remember dumb stuff like being told like, oh, if you name your save file this and it was like some kind of weird profanity, then you'll you'll get like bonus items or something like that. Uh, because yeah. you guys wanted to make me look like a fool. <laughs> not you guys. Lucky not you. Not Jackson. He wasn't there. <laughs> the fans. This was 2003. Listeners. He was a baby. Yeah. I remember putting a lot of time into it back then. You know, at the time, like, I mean, it was it was big. But it was never quite as big as something like Skyrim or even Oblivion. But I ne- I never really gave it a chance like as an adult until sometime like halfway through college, where I finally like sat down and said like, okay, I'm gonna. <laughs> what happened was I sat down and I was like, I'm going to finally play Skyrim because I like I played it like on and off throughout. It came out in like 2011. This was like 2018, 2017. <laughs> So I've been playing Skyrim on and off that whole time, but it wasn't until college that I was like, Alright, I'm gonna sit down and actually try to play this game and like beat the game and play all the DLC. And I did that. I played through Skyrim's main storyline. I did a bunch of the side quests, and then I played through the the vampire hunting DLC Dawn Guard, and then I built a house. <laughs> and then I was like, Alright, it's time to play the last DLC, Dragonborn. And then I saw that That DLC takes place on an island that you go to in one of Morrowind's DLCs. So I was like, I guess I gotta play Morrowind now. (laughs) And then I did, and I sat down with it, and I was like, wow, this game is really ugly, and there's so much reading (laughs) in it. But I was just kind of already, like, engrossed in the world from playing Skyrim. And as I just got, like, deeper and deeper into it, I was like, wow, this game is good. It was like... It doesn't treat you like a kid because, I mean, like, that's kind of one of my main complaints about Skyrim is that there's nothing where you have to, like, really think to do a quest. It's always just like, okay, well, here's a compass marker. Go here and kill this or pick this thing up or go through this dungeon. But Morrowind's a lot more complicated than that with its journal system, which, I mean, like, some people could say it's outdated, but when you get a quest, it doesn't tell you to. Go, it doesn't give you like a mini map icon or anything like that. And it doesn't always tell you exactly what you even need to do with that area. So like you could get a quest. That's just like investigate what's going on at this mine. <laughs> and instead of telling you where that mine is exactly, it's just like, yeah, so you're just going to need to go North from here and then like hang a right <laughs> until you come across like a weird looking rock And then you take a left at that weird looking rock and it'll lead you to another town. And if you ask a guy there, he'll tell you where the mine is. And like, it really expects you to think and pay attention and kind of engage with the game that at that point, like I'd never really had to do before. It just drew me in because on top of that, like it's such a weird world. Like, Skyrim and Morrowind, or sorry, sorry, uh, Skyrim and Oblivion both really kind of simplify what made the world of Elder Scrolls, like, really weird. But, like, Morrowind, you spend half your time in, like, these really weird-looking Dwemer ruins. And back then, like, it was significantly weirder looking, partially because of, like, the way that the graphics looked then. And then <laughs> on top of that it was intentionally supposed to look alien. Whereas like in Oblivion and Skyrim, it seems like the, the focus was trying to make things more approachable for the average gamer. But Morrowind doesn't really care about being approachable. It wears its weirdness on its sleeve in such like a unique way. <laughs> and there are plenty of other games that do this, but this was like the first game that really captured me. And I realized I used the word like a lot in that, but (laughs) it's definitely, it was almost like a religious experience, realizing that games could be a lot more than what I had ever really treated them as.
0: You know, Morrowind was this game that was on its own level, but at the same time, when Oblivion and then inevitably Skyrim came out they totally took over the Elder Scrolls name like Elder Scrolls is synonymous with Skyrim specifically now yeah and it's had incredible both critical and financial success that Morrowind just never really had do you what what about the game makes it so important to you that the general public which is like Skyrim obsessed doesn't necessarily see
1: I mean Skyrim puts a lot of time and effort into being approachable. It is a game that, like, if you want to, you can sit down and get really into the lore. You can read the books and all of that. Morrowind doesn't give you the option. It just kind of expects you to do that. And then Mm -hmm. on top of it, it has way more deeper stuff that you can get into. And it's also just from an era where game developers and writers could be weird in a way that I think like the HD area of gaming really kind of killed because of how much additional work and how many people had to look over every little thing that went into the code. But (laughs) Morrowind doesn't have that kind of oversight creatively or like from a corporation kind of like games do now. So, the beginning of Morrowind, when you're leaving the first town, a wizard falls from the sky and his name is Tarheel like the basketball or the you know the, the college, college. <laughs> basketball team like because and you find out more about this. you learn something about the developers as you play that there is a big Duke versus uh, <laughs> versus uh, UNC. UNC kind of like rivalry going on in the office, the best sword in the game. That you can get normally is called gold brand but there's a special quest you can do that upgrades it into an even better sword by like adding like 10 points of damage and adding like a fire enchantment or something like that and that sword is called elton brand it was a basketball player
0: (laughs) i guess it's just that video games have kind of gone corporate and that so much stuff is made by committee now that you just you can't have stuff like that anymore, which is a real bummer because like you know that it that was one person's decision and probably just one like one of many writers or developers or, or something to that effect. And like, it's one of those that weird wasn't things something...
1: that you never would have been able to find naturally back then because it requires like right. having a specific amount of gold in your inventory, and that gold is the score of a game between Duke and NC or in, and UNC. <laughs> And like you would never think of that unless you were one already a big sports fan. And two, you like you'd have to know that was in the game. <laughs> there's there's no like yeah. sane reason why you would think to have that amount of gold in your inventory and go talk to like this random NPC because the map is huge. Yeah. And there's no fast travel in the game. There's well there are major cities you can fast travel between quickly, but you have to have visited that city for one. And then two, you have to pay money and like talk to people at the Mages Guild or whatever. But the big thing is you spend a lot of time walking around on foot. So you really do feel like you have to learn every corner of this world. But it's still a huge world. And not only do you need to know every corner of the world, you also need to know it and have really specific and weird things on top of that. That's kind of something that the internet's just kind of changed about gaming. There's not... true. You can't have... Or you can still have weird Easter eggs like that, but they're not necessarily the same because only a couple people are going to find them them. naturally, and everyone else is going to find them from watching a YouTube video that person posted. Yeah. Or seeing an article Mm -hmm. on IGN or something like that. Like, it's just so different now. You
2: guys know from doing this podcast, I struggle to get into games that are a good bit older than what I've grew up with. So, how would you pitch, you know, a game from two thousand and two to someone that you know didn't get super into gaming until like twenty fifteen?
1: Well, I'll say one thing: there are mods. I- if the big thing that's stopping you from playing it are graphics and un- on top of that, like there's been an and there's been an entire engine rework, so you can definitely play the game more modern graphically and visually, like writing in gameplay. It, it's definitely something you have to get used to because it, it's it's from that era of RPGs where hitting someone with a sword isn't guaranteed to do damage. Like it does a it does a dice roll under the hood. So <laughs> we Jordan and I would always joke about it back in like when we were playing it originally on the Xbox and we'd be like yeah sometimes you'll hit an enemy <laughs> and they'll respond to getting hit and say like oof that hurt and then they won't take any damage from it because it decided afterwards that the attack missed
0: <laughs> yeah
1: i i think it's it's just kind of one of those things that you have to accept honestly <laughs> i think you have, yeah. you have to be willing to go back to that and kind of accept like that's kind of it's a product of the time that it came out that's just what rpgs were like back then
0: my experience with longer and bigger rpgs is that you just have to give it an amount of time that isn't always going to feel natural
1: yeah yeah because the issues that a lot of people have with Morrowind's combat like the weird missing stuff uh because of the dice rolls under the hood that goes away at a certain point because you have a lot of points put into longsword, So you stop missing. <laughs> and then when you learn that, like the amount of uh, fatigue that you have affects your hit rate. <laughs> and there's like a weird bug where if you have a hundred percent blindness, <laughs> for some reason it's messed up. And instead of causing you to miss a hundred percent of the time, it means you hit a hundred percent of the time. <laughs> So if, you're hit, if your uh, chance to hit is 50% and you have 50% blindness on your character, it's a guaranteed hit 100% of the time. And that's another weird thing. It's like from an era when you could have really major bugs like that and you can't just patch them out because <laughs> the internet wasn't as widespread back then. I mean, how many yeah. people do you know that had their, X, their original Xbox hooked up to Xbox Live?
0: Oh, yeah. Like one or two specific. Like, and it was just for Halo. Like, did nothing (laughs) else with
1: it. I think you had another question in there. Or, Gaxit, if you wanted any more info.
2: Speaking of, like, using mods and stuff to make a lot of it feel more up-to-date, are there a lot of, like, big mods that take away from a lot of, like, important aspects of the game in the pursuit of making it feel more modern?
1: I'm sure that there are mods that add things like a the game has a mini-map, but I, I'm sure there are mods that add map markers to the screen and stuff like that yeah. and tell you exactly what to do. I know there are mods that'll change the the way the journal works to give you a little bit more information on a lot of quests. I mean, it's complicated. It, it yeah. gets to a point mod- where it's like, is the mod improving or... I, I can't pick the right word. It's sort
0: of like a difference of like short-term and long-term gains. Yeah. Because, like... Is the game going to make... Is is this mod going to make the game more fun right this minute? Maybe. But it might also detract from the overall f- sense of exploration that comes from playing the game the way it was made to be played.
1: Yeah, and Morrowind's from an age of gaming where, like, the map doesn't show you very much until you've been to a place. And even then, it it still doesn't show you a lot. So... The primary driver for exploration is quests that give you vague in, uh, instructions on how to get somewhere and might might even cause you to go the wrong way, <laughs> or just seeing something in the distance and being like, that's cool, I want to go there. But with yeah. Morrowind, like, you have the knowledge, that is cool, and you do want to go there. Also, it might take you 20 minutes to get there and back. And that's not including yeah. the time like when you're there. So... Yeah. It has really good DLC. And you know, I'm going to finish up my story about Skyrim real quick to say I still have not played the Dragonborn DLC for Skyrim. (laughs) I never went back. I've played Morrowind three times since then all the way through. (laughs) And I have not played the DLC, the final DLC for Skyrim.
0: Well, excessive DLC is a pretty good transition into uh, the first game that I want to talk about. This entire first
2: segment is just the series of games with a lot of DLC. (laughs)
1: Hey, well, Morrowind only didn't has have two. any. No, that's oh, two. Oh. Oh. But it, technically it wasn't DLC, it was expansion packs.
0: Right. They were uh, It was a different time. Yeah. I think what we owned on the Xbox already had that cuz I don't th- I think I don't think we played it until a couple years after it actually came out. Yeah, we have the game of but, year
1: edition. Yeah. Oh, wait, I do have one funny <laughs> anecdote about Morrowind. You don't know, have don't include this in the episode cuz it's like common knowledge at this point. You should include me giving this disclaimer though. Um Okay. <laughs> I learned that when you when you like enter and exit buildings and you go to loading screens sometime on the Xbox release of Morrowind, what the game would do is completely restart your Xbox while you're in those. Oh
0: yes. Yeah, huh. you told me about this. That's that's wild. Like that was that was the hardware they were working with at the time. <laughs> it was easier to do that.
1: <laughs> it's almost as crazy as like with um I can't remember if it was Jack and Daxter or Crash Bandicoot using the ps1 hardware in the ps2 to yeah. play the game like it wouldn't work without that ps1 hardware there
0: so the first game i want to talk about is a, a bit of an odd duck <laughs> because the other two games i'm going to talk about i think actually just about every game that all three of us are be talking about are games that are you know well regarded they're irreverent they're they at least bare minimum have pretty significant cult followings if not you know, our genuinely popular games. The first game I want to talk about is one that is rough. It has a lot of significant issues that even I, as a huge, huge fan, still recognize. Uh, I want to talk about Borderlands 2. This is a game that originally released in 2012 uh, for the Xbox 360, PS3, and PC, And you can now play it on every console imaginable because it has been re-released many times. (laughs) Uh, But I remember our experiences with Borderlands, specifically Jason and I, because Jackson was still like a bit on the younger side at this point. Our experiences with Borderlands were interesting. I bought Borderlands because it was like $20 and Jason's birthday was like the next day or something. So I bought it on a whim as a gift for him not even really knowing what it was and it was something totally unique this idea of like a shooter and an rpg rolled into one with you know these this weird sense of humor and weird aesthetic that i was really really into at the time so i was incredibly excited for borderlands 2 when it first came out it was actually the first midnight release i ever went to for a game same i was um, there with them and they almost didn't yeah. give
1: me my copy <laughs>
0: Yeah, because Jason was not (laughs) 17 yet, and it was rated M. Uh, But Borderlands 2, I was just immediately totally in love with this game pretty much from the get-go. If you're unfamiliar with the Borderlands franchise, they are sort of the precursors to the quote-unquote looter-shooter genre. Uh, Basically, the idea is that it's a first-person shooter, you know, think Call of Duty... But when you kill a guy, you get experience and they might drop gear, loot, uh, like weapons and armor and things to improve your character in different ways. And there is a big emphasis on your character getting better and learning these unique skills as you explore and open up more of the map and fight tougher enemies. So it's still very much an RPG. It's just the actual gameplay is first person shooter. So, Borderlands 2, admittedly, has not aged the best in some facets. I think it has a pretty abysmal sense of humor. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I didn't even love all of it at launch. Like, there were definitely some incredible moments, but for the most part, I I wasn't even impressed with some of the humor back then, and it's only gotten worse over time. You got the rainbow joke, and that's basically it. Are you
1: freaking telling me that you don't think shooting McFace is the funniest joke in gaming? (laughs)
0: There are a lot of things that happen in Borderlands that are just there to be like, look how weird we are. Um, And a lot of the time they succeed in being weird, but not in being weird in a good way. But for me, the reason that I still look at this game as one of my favorites after all these years and why I still go back to it bare minimum every year. It's really two things. It's just the sheer quantity of content. This is a big game there is probably 40-ish hours of missions to do in a single playthrough and on top of that you have you know new game pluses and then they've added four major expansions, I guess five major expansions now after one in like 2019 that came out of nowhere. But there have been five major expansions, and then a bunch of smaller ones, and then a couple of DLCs that have just upped level caps or added new weapons and gear and stuff. So, like, there is just a ton of content to this game, and there is a ton of variety in how you play it. There are six classes with totally distinct abilities. They each have three skill trees, which can turn them into totally different characters. Like... This game can go some absolutely insane directions just whenever, just by what character you play as, or what skill tree you prioritize, or what weapons you use. I, I have played this game, I have finished this game and done New Game Plus as every class in the game at least once, and I also have like two other characters that were at the max before the most recent level cap expansion. and. Like, I am in the middle of a replay now, finally trying to platinum the game. Like, I probably have 200 to 250 hours in this game, and this is like a single-player game with a finite ending. This is not a Destiny situation (laughs) where it can just go on forever, but I have still just... I, I love this game, and I've gotten to where I know it so well that generally when I play it now... I like have it on mute and I'm listening to a podcast or something like this is just a comfort game that I know I'm going to enjoy and that I know so well that I can just go in and focus on, you know, this time I'm going to play it with this weird build or I'm going to prioritize this type of weapon, which I don't normally use. Or like there's just so much you can do with the game that I just really, really love. And it still has me going back, even though sometimes the characters talking is like, nails on a chalkboard to me (laughs) i've only beat borderlands 2 twice uh
2: also both like very close times beating it so i was very like i still like you know had a lot of the games like just its core in mind when i replayed it but i you know i played as a different character the second time i played it and it just it felt like a completely different game and yeah i have i've started saves of this game Way too many times that I've not finished. I'm sure I've played as every character at least for at least for two hours, and each time it just it feels completely different. Even in the starting, even in the beginning, when you know you're limited to like, you know, just basically just your action skill and whatever guns you find along the way, it still feels so different, for sure. For I sure. I
1: remember you always really wanted to play this game, Jordan, because <laughs> like any time that we would need to play a game together. Or not, you know, need to, but anytime we'd want to, it, it would yeah. almost always be this game. We'd almost always start a new save file instead of just picking yeah. up from where we were. So I've yeah. probably played the intro to this game a million times. And at this point, I'm, I'm obviously not quite as fond of it as you are. What, what, do you think is, what do you think it is about the game that keeps you coming back so much?
0: So I, I think it really is just the build variety. So, all six classes have totally unique skills, and as many times as I've played the game, there's always some combination I've never tried out before. Um, Currently, I am playing as the Gunzerker, which is my least used class. His whole thing is based around dual wielding, and I'm specifically using a skill tree I had never used before, or prioritizing a skill tree I'd never used before. I'm using multiple, but like people and the places are the same, but how I am handling these situations is different every single time. And, you know, even just looking at the characters on the most surface level, there's so much variety. Um, there is a character that their whole deal is just they put down a turret, and then the character I'm playing as now just can dual wield. And, but there's also much weirder ones, like there's a character who can put out a hologram of himself and then turn invisible... And uh, that's actually a really good one to focus on because not only does he have this really unique ability, he also can do a lot of wild things with it. You can just use it to get away from, you know, from enemies. And there's a whole skill tree that's just around using that defensively for getting out of tough fights. And there's also like a skill tree that focuses on letting you use that time to set up the perfect snipe so you can take out one big enemy in one hit. And there's like another skill tree that focuses on just straight up letting you deal a ton of damage while you're invisible lets you throw kunai that explode and deal elemental damage and like just that one character has those three totally different styles to play them and also on top of that you can mix and match them and you can prioritize different weapons and you can grind for different gear to you know play up this stat versus that one And every time I play the game, I'm doing it in a way I haven't played it before, which is just really, really cool that I can still be doing that after I've beaten the game bare minimum 20 times, but I've started probably 30 or 40 characters. So there's just, there's so much here.
1: (laughs) No, I definitely hear that. I, I, I enjoy Borderlands. I've never been as into it as either of you are, (laughs) or maybe I was at one point, but I've definitely kind of moved away from it. It's definitely like a fun game, and it's great to play with friends. I, I don't know why I've just kind of bounced off of it. I know Jackson, you really like it as well, don't you?
2: Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of Borderlands. I even three, which is honestly uh, not very Rough. good. Uh, I even that I like I really enjoyed when I played that. But Borderlands two is still you know it's still a game I think about a lot, even though I've not played too too much
0: of. I think that that's a natural stopping point for the Borderlands discussion, though. It is a a very, very fun game, but I recognize it has some rough edges that completely drive some people away, but more specifically, keeps it from being great for a lot of people. Like, this game is great for me, but I will recognize it is not necessarily a great game universally.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I get that.
0: Yeah. It's great for Jordan because he loves obscene poop jokes. Yep, that's that's it. That's that's what makes the game so good.
1: It's another game that I have like some weird stories for, though. I remember, like I mentioned, we picked it up and they almost didn't let me take it with me. I think they we just ended up basically saying you picked up both copies or something like that. I remember, though, the next day I was sick and needed to stay home from school and mom did not believe me. And she was like, fine, you can stay home. And I'm like running a fever. <laughs> she still doesn't really want me to. She's like, fine, you can stay home, but you can't play the game <laughs> or something like that. And then I did, anyways. And it was a good time because I got to play it before Jordan. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. <sighs> well, let's move on to another, uh, you know, another indie gym. <laughs> You know, one that uh, most people just don't connect with on that level. Take it away, Jackson. Jackson. <laughs> yeah, what game are we talking about
2: next? Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. One of only two Legend of Zelda games I've beat, the other being Link Between Worlds.
1: Is that the one where you play as Mario and Luigi inside of Bowser?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But You're thinking of the Minish Cap. <laughs>
1: oh, sorry.
0: But, yeah, um, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is a big
2: one for me. Like, I've been into gaming basically all my life. Like, I still remember playing Halo 2 <laughs> back, like, you know, like, I mean, probably not right when it came out. I was one when it came out, but pretty close to
1: it. <laughs> I'll never forget um, convincing you. And this is one of those dumb jokes that was so funny to me when I was, like, 10, but... <laughs> I just remember convincing you that if, if you stand on top of this box, then you'll get the super gull ability. you thought I was saying gold <laughs> ability or something like that. And then I would yeah. shoot the box and it would explode.
2: Good time. But anyway, that's a
1: completely different game than what we're talking about right now. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but and, so, like, gaming has always been a part of my life. But I never really thought about the games I was playing until Breath of the Wild, which was basically like right at the end of seventh grade right before going to high school and it is probably the game i have thought about the most even if it's not the game i've played the most which now i think about it i think i have over 300 hours on a single save file so that really defeats the purpose of what i just said there was always like i don't know what it was about breath of the wild that really made me think about video games more a lot of it was probably just like you know when i played it which was, you know, right before going into high school. And it it's just being, it's something I connected with really easily. Like, I mean, sure, I would, you know, I'd play a game and I'd be like, oh, this is fun, and then play it a lot. But something about this game in particular, when I started playing it, made me really think about the game itself and not just the fun I was having with it. And I, I think that is really the sense of av- adventure that this game invokes in the player. No other game has an open world quite like this game. A lot of games have tried to uh, mimic it, but haven't really done a good job. (laughs) Like, I feel like, like, I remember um, when Ghost of Tsushima, not long before it came out, it, you know, it hyped up, you know, having, like, this giant map with with no map markers and no mini-map or HUD to tell you where to go, and then it comes out, and it's just like, Slide up on the D-pad for the wind to guide you anywhere you're going, <laughs> but Breath of the Wild doesn't, you know, it actually doesn't have any sort of true guidance system. Like it has a mini map that shows you a lot of the basic stuff around you, mostly topography, and it has a sort of ping system that you can use your uh, that you can use your Nintendo Switch to zoom in on things and look at. And, you know, you can place a ping, and that'll kind of show up on the minimap to a certain degree. But you don't see, like, the obstacles you're going to run into mm-hmm. along the way. Because, one, it has a weather system that insanely affects any movement in the game. You can't climb up a simple hill if it's raining. <laughs> Which, for a lot of people, that's something they don't like. But, personally, I did like that. Because it just... It completely changes your route of whatever you're doing. Like... If what you're doing is trying to get up this mountain to this shrine, and there's two ways to go, you can go quickly up the side of the mountain by climbing it, or you can go all the way around and just easily walk up it. You can do whichever one of those it is, and then anything can throw you off of that. There can be a random enemy camp at a certain ledge on your way up there, and you know you may have to deal with a few like higher level enemies that you didn't know we're there, that it's going to be pretty hard to take out, you may come out with only a few of your weapons left. Or, you know, you can run into, you know, rain, and just not be able to get farther at all. (laughs) And I feel like there's so much of that in this game that it really makes you think about playing it. And, you know, when I played it for the first time, it really made me think, you know, it one made me think about doing all these things, and then it made me proceed to think, what can I think in other games And from that point forward, I've just viewed gaming completely differently.
1: Something I always really admired about Breath of the Wild's, like, map design is how getting anywhere is done fairly diegetically. Like, if you need to get to a specific town or a specific area, there are landmarks along the way. Sometimes people will tell you about, like, another town. Sometimes there are signposts. But your main quests are always really big (laughs) and, like, obvious. So you don't have to, like, spend a lot of time searching for what you need to do. But there's a million different things that you're gonna run to along the way to what you need to do that you can do.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And there's so many things to do along the way. There are tons of shrines. There are korok seeds at every turn Mm -hmm. there are enemy camps that you know will have a new weapon for your inventory there is there is so much in this game that the game just doesn't tell you about like almost every single open world game you know you're gonna have like this quest line that's just you know clear out all the bandit camps and then every single bandit camp is gonna be marked on your map for the entirety of the game Mm -hmm. i mean in this game one there's no quest that's just go through all the bandit camps to get whatever reward two there are hundreds of them at every turn throughout the game there are giant skulls that you can find Boko goblins in. there are tree um tree huts to find enemies in there is they're everywhere and each time you go to these you can find something valuable for your journey so like it's really a it's really like a gamble of like, you know, when you come across one like do you want to, you know, use the weapons you have now and they could potentially break or, you know, find something new that'll really help you get to where you're going. And I feel like no other game has anything that to offer just like that.
1: Yeah, and on top of that, I think like the game and how quickly the weapons destroy themselves essentially. Yeah. <laughs> it really incentivizes you to play around with things. Right, yeah. Like, you could go into that camp with your sword or your bow and arrow, but there's also a big rock at the top of a hill that you can just kill the enemies with by pushing it into them, or something like that, or a precariously stacked... uh, (laughs) precariously stacked pile of explosive barrels that are right (laughs) next to a torch
2: (laughs) yeah my my favorite use of this is um you know you have the guardians which are the hardest enemy in the game to fight one hit from those no matter what armor you're you're dead (laughs) i think if you have max hearts you can escape that but it's very rare you can escape that uh but my favorite use of just being able to do anything in this game is like the way the game wants you to fight guardians is, uh, shoot them for a critical in the eye to stun them, and go up and take out their legs, or you can do an insane combination of using like three different runic attacks. You can use your um, you can use your ice wall thing to you know raise a pillar of water under it, uh, shoot them in their uh, underside weak spot. Throw both your bombs at them, and then they just go flying across the map, like, out of bounds. And you can do so much stuff like this basically any time in the game.
0: There are two things about Breath of the Wild that I really appreciate that I didn't necessarily appreciate while I was actually playing it the first time. And that's, one, that you can do some just wild physics stuff like that. Like, I've seen people that beat the entire game, like, no glitches or anything in, like, 15 minutes... Because they get the ability to freeze things in place, and they like get a big rock and they freeze it and they hit it (laughs) a bunch of times and they jump on it and it carries them straight to like the the middle of Hyrule Castle, and like there's some wild stuff like that. But then there's also just there are so many important things in this game that are hidden that you just wouldn't know unless you set out to explore like every inch of the game. Um, interestingly, there was, there was like an entire area I didn't even discover, like an important area with like a lot of NPCs and stuff that I didn't even discover until I was playing the game Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity and went to this big, like, uh, ninja base castle thing. And thought, like, wow, this is wild. And then I was like, wait, is this in Breath of the Wild? And then I went and looked it up. And it is. And, like, there was a lot of stuff there. And, like, it was something I had totally missed before, too. And I did, like, the whole story and most of the shrines. So. There's,
2: there's one specific area that I really like. Uh, it's the top right corner of the map. Uh, something like that, at least. And there's no point during any of the game's main quest where you have to go to this area. The game does not direct you to go here at all. The only way you're going to get here is if you choose to go there. And there are two very important things here. One, there is a shop where you can use guardian parts to make, you know, guardian armor, guardian weapons. And it's some of the best gear in the game. And just unless you choose to go here, unless you choose to explore it, you're not going to find it. Like, there's no quest to lead you there or anything. The second thing, one of my favorite parts of the game is... uh, I have to track back a little for this. In one of the starting areas of the game, there is a house you can find. And, you know, it's about to be demolished and stuff, but if you give them 30 bundles of wood, you get to keep it. And then one of the guys you can meet again later in this upper right region of the game. And then you start a quest line to build an entire town from the ground up. And the game just doesn't tell you this.
1: You're (laughs) leaving out the best part. You're building an entire town from the ground up, but he won't let anyone move in unless their name ends in sun or something like that. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Their name has to end in sun for anyone to live there. So then the the quest
1: that you end up with is more or less like, he says, oh, we need someone to run a shop. So you need to go all around all the different towns and find somebody who wants to be a shopkeeper and their name ends in sun. It doesn't tell you where this person is.
2: You just have to find it. And I feel like with a lot of games, I've struggled to really get into any sort of systems like this where you're not handheld through most of it. But Breath of the Wild just does such a good job at making you want to explore every single nook and cranny of the entire map that I really... I just don't understand exactly how they did it. There's so many systems in play to make it such a great exploration game that I don't think any other game could possibly copy this. It's definitely a game
1: where the people working on, like, the system side of things and the people working on the map design and world design stuff were really working in harmony together. Yeah. (laughs) Like, they knew what was going on, and they were like, oh, well, you have this ability... So, yeah. why not add something special? So, if you want to yeah. use that ability, you can solve this puzzle easier. Or win this combat like lo- encounter without having to actually do any fighting. It's <laughs> so good about that. Like, literally everywhere.
2: Like, um, one game I'll use in as an example, which I absolutely love this game, but I'm um, going to be mean to it for a minute. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn has one of my favorite war open worlds in the sense of how amazing it is to just walk around but there's not really anything to do except find more enemies to fight and your abilities that you have don't really let you they don't help you explore the world more and i think that's just that really shows just the differences in in open world like breath of the wild also has a beautiful open world but And that's, you know, that's good. Like, that can really be make or break for an open world game. Like, look at Far Cry 6. Very bland looking open world. Like, it's not interest There's nothing to see in that game that looks interesting to go to. (laughs) You just go to your next map markers. And Horizon Zero Dawn, you see interesting things. You go to them. Nothing happens. Breath of the Wild, you see interesting things. You go to them. You find a whole town that you get to build. (laughs) And I think, I think that whether you know like the combat itself the fact that this is you know legend of zelda one of the biggest gaming series of all time i think that is what makes this game close to perfect
0: i like zelda (laughs) his name is link (laughs) no i like zelda the princess
1: (laughs) oh sorry i've never played one of the games (laughs) <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> I aware there was a character these. named Zelda in it. <laughs> <laughs> My second game is the newest game on the list. And that is Disco Elysium. I know that I spent a lot of time gushing over this game when we talked about it on the podcast, when the uh, the Final Cut edition finally rolled out and it got console release and like voice acting, controller support, whole bunch of stuff. But... Honestly, Disco Elysium is one of the greatest games that I've ever played. It doesn't have a whole lot going for it, gameplay-wise, right? Because most of the time that you're playing the game, you're reading and selecting things from text boxes, but for one, the game is still gorgeous with like its hand-painted art style that is Completely unlike anything else that I've played recently. And it's approach to telling a story without having any combat in it. Disco Elysium is a game that wants to tell a really interesting story. And it gives you the tools to build up. Let me say, Disco Elysium has a really interesting story that it wants to tell. And the game didn't decide who the protagonist was ahead of time.
0: It also doesn't make any sacrifices.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that the, um, the thought cabinet idea is just incredible. And the idea that building up your character is done in real time. I guess that's, that's the big thing I want to th- say. The character in Disco Elysium is built in real time as you play the game. There's not a whole lot of character building before you start actually playing the game. Everything that your character becomes by the end of the game is done based on how you respond to people and the different ideas that other people put in your head that you decide to spend time on and energy.
0: And when he says spend time on, he means literally. Like you have certain things you can choose as like, this is something I want to think about. And then you just spend time thinking about that thing in the game, like, while you're doing other things. And eventually your character is just like, yeah, I guess that does make sense. And they're just, they've pieced that together. That's now part of their personality. Like, it's it's wild how much control you have over your character in this game. But how it only affects the story in the most natural ways. Exactly. Like, it's never overt.
1: Yeah. Disco Elysium's is honestly kind of hard to talk about just because of how utterly unique it is. Yeah. There hasn't been a game like Disco Elysium made ever.
0: Ever. <laughs> the closest we got were like 90s point and click adventures, but there was still like a a lack of imagination about what games could be at that time where we just never got anything like this um also this game was an incredible endeavor from like an artistic standpoint and from a writing standpoint and games just didn't have the budget to do those types of things back in the day especially like a small studio coming out of nowhere like this group is i don't know how to say their name yeah i don't know either (laughs) um, Zom. zom uh something to that effect but even though i don't love this game as much as you do and that there are things that i have minor gripes with I, I will say, this this might be the smartest game I've ever played. The way that they pull off a complex narrative, a completely unique character progression system, and just building a fleshed-out world as such one coherent package is just... it's it's appalling. Especially for this to be done by like a small indie studio.
1: This is the one game of the three that I couldn't decide really... What I wanted to talk about ahead of time. (laughs) Because there's just so much to it. The writing is just incredibly smart and sharp. It has this really good blend of social commentary with telling an interesting story. And the social commentary being, like, a really important part of the story. A world that feels real. There aren't... There are a few characters that are, are, are a bit much, but... For the most part, like every character seems real, and they have their own thoughts and motivations. And you can tell that every line of dialogue in this game was carefully thought through. I don't, it's, just, it's just an incredible game. I'm gushing over it. I love this game so much. <laughs> and I wish that more games could be like this, that they'd be willing to.
0: Like, what specific things do you think other games would benefit from taking from Disco Elysium? Or not taking, but trying to mimic?
1: I mean, I have to say, it's really cool to have a narrative-based game where your character grows over time. Because most RPGs, even ones that I really like, you have skills that go up over time. Or, you know, in the case of something like Borderlands, like... You get better at doing things, you can do more things, but those things generally don't affect the story that much. And you look at RPGs like, you know, the Bethesda Fallout games, or, you know, better example is just the original Fallout games, where, like, the skills that you're leveling up over time come into puzzles, essentially. Like, there are things that you run into that you can solve because of different skills, But generally, having those skills doesn't change who your character is as a person. It doesn't have an effect on how the story goes beyond like a moment-to-moment thing. Mm -hmm. But Disco Elysium, your character... I mean, even one of the most basic things is you can decide what kind of cop your character is is he a cop that feels sorry for himself all the time? Or is he a cop that just thinks, like, he is the best thing since sliced bread. Like, everyone needs to look up to him and look out for him because he's coming to do some cop business. (laughs) And I've just never seen a game that lets you have so much control over who your character is and how he interacts with other people.
2: A lot of that stuff is what interests me about the game. Like, I I really... I really want to give this game a shot, but due to its lack of any, like, traditional... Like, obviously from the games I've talked about, I, you know, I like a lot of heavy action games.
1: I'm deeply sorry that you never learned how to read, Jackson.
2: (laughs) Hey, I know how to read. I love reading Destiny lore. (laughs) How would someone that has never had a real, like... how is someone that's never really had an experience with a basically text-only based game get into a game like this? Because I really would like, I would would really love to give this game a shot. Because there's a lot that interests me, like how different this game can be depending on the way you play it is really interesting. And I love the art style of the game. It is It is probably one of the prettiest games I've ever seen. So I would really love to give it a shot. But how would someone that hasn't had experience with a game like it get into it?
1: Probably look at it more like reading a book or solving a puzzle. Imagine it's like reading a book and every few pages you have to put together a jigsaw puzzle.
0: (laughs) It's a choose your own adventure book. Except instead of it just saying if you choose A, go to page whatever. It's a complicated math problem to tell you what page to go to.
1: I mean, if you want a world that you can just really, you know, dig your teeth into, where, like, every corner has something going on, I I think you just kind of have to accept. And I I think it's one of the strengths, honestly, that it doesn't have combat. It incentivizes you to find out-of-the-box solutions to any problem that you run into.
0: I think that an important thing for me was I had to give up on the idea of playing the game to finish it because I wanted to get it finished by a certain date so we could talk about it on the podcast. And I think that that hurt my experience. Afterwards, when I went back and played it some more with the mindset of, I don't care about finishing the game. I just want to know what's going on with this character or what this person saying this meant. When you're just looking at it from the idea of like, how would a person, how would an investigator actually behave in this situation? Then I think it becomes something much better.
1: Yeah. I try to think of most RPGs that I play as, what would I do in this situation? But I think a lot of people find it easier to get into RPGs if they're thinking more along the lines of, like, I've created a character. What do I think they would do in this situation? Which is a really similar idea, but, you know, slightly different. Right. And I, I think a lot of the fun with Disco Elysium is that, you can create any person i mean they still have to be a man in his 30s but <laughs> <laughs> or maybe even older than that i would probably i'd yeah. probably go late 40s i would guess 40s yeah, yeah i'd you know like you're obviously limited a little bit but there's not like a huge number of constraints on who your character is or who you want to be and that gives you a lot of space to play around in also, there's a cool mystery. And if you just want to solve the mystery.
2: Now, hey, I always love a good mystery.
1: <laughs> there's a cool mystery and there's, you know, crypto zoo biology and uh, <laughs> uh, political quandaries about like what the best economic system or system of government is. Like, <laughs> If you've ever thought about anything before, then there's a good chance it's at least... <laughs> referenced in Disco Elysium.
0: Yeah, so the last game I want to talk about, uh, it might be the only game ever made that I think is smarter and more complex and more thorough than Disco Elysium. Uh, It is, of course, Paper Mario, the Thousand Year Door. (laughs) Uh, Paper Mario is an anomaly. I really 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 love the first three paper mario games and i think a lot of people do but even knowing i love them i still don't really understand why paper mario ever even came to be Uh, i actually i take that back i actually do know historically why it came to be (laughs) i just don't know the specific jumps in logic that had to happen for it to be like paper so paper mario is a turn-based rpg which is Not Mario's norm. Uh, So by that I mean combat flows as in you give a command, the enemy gives a command, you give a command, the enemy gives a command, and you go back and forth taking turns doing attacks to each other. Uh, So, you know, a system that's more popular in like JRPGs, like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest. And Paper Mario takes that formula and it simplifies certain concepts. So, like, for example, your hammer attack does one or two damage, <laughs> and enemies might only have, like, six HP or something simple like that. Like, it, it takes the RPG turn-based system and sort of, like, makes it as bare-bones as possible in that regard, but it adds a whole layer that's sort of unique to itself, or specifically to Mario RPG, starting with mario rpg for the super nintendo in that when you click attack and click on an enemy it's not as simple as it just happens there is an actual thing you have to do to make sure that that attack happens the way it's supposed to happen so if you choose to jump on an enemy you have to press the you have to press the jump button at the right time to like springboard off the enemy and then it turns it into a double jump or if you are hitting with a hammer, you have to hold back the joystick an appropriate amount of time to charge up your hammer to land like a stronger attack. So it takes simple turn-based combat, adds this level of interacti- interactivity on top that makes it more engaging more rewarding, more exciting. And then it takes an already good core conceit as like an active turn-based RPG And it puts it into one of the weirdest and wildest settings possible. (laughs) The Paper Mario games are, they take you to crazy worlds and introduce you to crazy characters that have, you know, their own crazy powers. And it has such a fun and irreverent, like, vibe to it from start to finish that I just really haven't seen anywhere else. Like, I love the combat, and I love how rewarding it is and how it makes you feel invested in the action. But I also just really, really love the fact that, like, this game is crazy. Like, it's you go to these vibrant, colorful places, and you meet these characters that say the weirdest and genuinely funny, like, still to this day funny for a 2004 game.
1: Yeah. Something I really oh. like about Paper Mario is that it manages to be significantly funnier 20 years later than Borderlands 2 is 10 years later. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's they're both going for like that irreverent crazy comedy style, but Borderlands yeah. decided that it was going to be edgy. <laughs> and Paper yeah. Mario is much more lighthearted, so it lands still.
0: For sure. For sure. And I think that the first two Paper Mario's do something very similar. But the reason that I think that Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door, which is the second Paper Mario game, the reason that that one still hits, like, really hits with me so much is that, one, it's beautiful. It still is. It looks phenomenal to this day. If they remastered this game, they wouldn't have to change a thing visually other than, like, you know, some inconsistencies and in textures and stuff. <laughs> Probably make the textures HD. Well, yeah, that too. But, like... Like, they would have to change very little for this game to still look fantastic to this day. But also, I think the Thousand Year Door... The the big thing that it had over the first game was that the first game had very... You had, like, eight partners and they all had really cool powers. But they were all, like, pretty basic enemy types. Like, you had a Goomba and a Koopa and a para, Paratroopa and stuff like that. Whereas in the Thousand Year Door, you start off with those. You know, you get a Goomba and a, and a Koopa, but they're, like... They have a lot more personality. And then as you go, you start to get weirder and weirder partners that aren't just regular Mario enemies anymore. Like, you have this ghost who is a diva opera singer type situation. (laughs) And you have a... uh, Let's see. What's another especially weird one? Uh, You have a Yoshi, but it's a baby. But it's like a professional fighter by trade. so like it's this really tiny yoshi but he's super aggressive and all of his attacks are like a flurry of blows on an enemy and you know they have cool ways they work in combat but they also have cool things they can do to solve puzzles like um you know the the koopa you can hit the shell to go under grates or you know fit in small spaces mario himself couldn't get to and when you ride the Yoshi, he can you know take you for a short glide, like he can make you glide for short periods. And when you're with the ghost, she can like turn you invisible and make you go underground. And like, they all work together in this really interesting way that lets the game. It, it's basically it's a puzzle game both in combat and in exploration, which I think is really really cool. And I think it's something that a lot of games could learn from where there's that continuity between exploration and combat, where a lot of games totally separate those two things.
1: I always really enjoyed the, the Mario RPGs. They're surprisingly much better than they have any right to be.
0: For sure, for sure. They're both good RPGs and just good games of their own right, even separate from being a Mario game.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get like a super intense story that you might get in a Fire Emblem game. Well, in terms of Mario stakes, they've never been higher.
0: Yeah, I I really love, I love both the Paper Mario games and the Mario and Luigi series, which started on the Game Boy in like 2005 or something to that effect. Yeah, like I would love for either of those to come back in a big way.
1: I, I've prepared two questions for you, and I think this really feeds into the first one. Um, why do you think personally, uh, that Nintendo hates Paper Mario so much.
0: So, this is going to sound like I am kidding, and this is going to sound like I am trying to just minimize this in some way. I think, on some level, Nintendo execs, specifically ones directly related to Nintendo's first-party development and all that, are genuinely intimidated by the older Paper Mario games. I think that they reached a level of quality with paper Mario, the thousand year door that didn't make sense with the, some of its parts. <laughs> like it is good in a way that an RPG about Mario characters in like being made of paper specifically should ever be. <laughs> and I think that they almost wanted to push more variety because they did didn't want that to overshadow other facets of mario (laughs) like like that's i mean that's a a crazy conspiracy theory probably but like it it almost feels like it was too good and they had to switch it up somehow (laughs) because every mario every paper mario since thousand year door has had some weird gimmick that made it
1: bad in most cases
0: Most cases, yes. Super Mario, Super Paper Mario. It's a hard one to say. That was the first one I played. Uh, The
1: one on the Wii? Yeah.
0: That one was actually like a pretty good extension of what Paper Mario could be. It was a very different game, but it was still good.
1: Now, like I said, I haven't really played too much of the original Paper Mario games. Uh, Was Super Paper Mario, did it add like the 3D parts? Or... (laughs) Or, like, the switching between dimensions?
0: Yeah, right. Specifically, the switching between dimensions was entirely new. I mean, they were all technically 3D, or both the first two were technically 3D. They weren't just on a 2D plane, like the main parts of Super Paper Mario were. But it's, you know, it is what it is. But, like, Super Paper Mario was fine. Uh, Paper Mario Sticker Star On was rough. There have been three really bad Paper Mario games back-to-back in the last several years. So, Sticker Star was 3DS, Color Splash was Wii U, and then Origami King is Switch. So.
1: Which one was the one that had Mario and Luigi from Mario and Luigi?
0: <laughs> oh, that was actually a Mario and Luigi game, not a Paper Mario game. That was Mario and Luigi Paper Jam. I would consider that um, a
1: Paper Mario game. He's in it as like a, a primary ca- character.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just. I feel like there is so much potential here for more games in the same style as the first two Paper Mario's and I would love them and fans would love them and they would sell like crazy and they're just not capitalizing on that which is really sad because I think it's not just these are good games I think these are like like there there's a charm to them that there's just not in other games and really not in some other entire genres. So I think something I don't really know.
1: special about Mario is that he's incredibly recognizable but has no personality other than what like fans have ascribed to him. Yeah. So like with an RPG, you can really do just about anything you want with Mario. The only thing we know about him is that he's Italian, a plumber, and he likes saving princesses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like you can really do anything you want. He can, be, he can be nice to his brother. He can be really mean to his brother. Luigi, now that is a strong character. I think, honestly, Luigi is a lot more, like, well thought through than Mario. Mario has, like, no yeah. personality. Luigi is terrified of everything.
0: Which is a big part of both Mario and Luigi games and Paper Mario games. <laughs> and... Honestly, people have been saying for, like, years that we need a Paper Luigi game that specifically focuses on what Luigi was doing during the second Paper Mario, mm-hmm. and, man, I would, I would drop, you know, 60 bucks for that, <laughs> so...
1: I just think it's, it's interesting, because in any situation that I've seen in a video game, I know what Luigi would do, <laughs> but I have no idea what Mario would do.
0: He'd beat the bad guys. Duh. Now, well, Waluigi though. Oh.
1: When we get in that paper Waluigi game.
0: <laughs> yeah, one day. That's the one we're all waiting on. Well, we'll be coming back for part two of our 50th episode. So I guess our 51st episode. But it's for it's now, good
1: because now we don't have to plan anything between now and Saints Row. Yeah. <laughs> And we, yeah. and we can just play whatever game we want to next week on the on the stream
0: so i think that means it's time to pull the plug jackson what is something else you've been into
2: recently i have found myself playing rainbow six siege a lot and i mean like a lot I, I got to level 30 within a week.
1: I don't think I'm level 30, and I've played on and off for since the game came out.
2: When I first played this game, I played it on PS4, and I played it a good bit over like two months, but like not a whole lot. And by then, I was only like level 25. In like the past week and a half, I've already hit level 30, because I've played this way too much. Because it is a really good game, which you wouldn't think that, Because this game has one of the worst online communities I have ever seen. I have never received hate messages from anyone when playing a game before this one. It is like an... It's like an almost every single match thing... Where I am getting messages that are just filled with hate because like... Either one, I did something another teammate didn't like... Or two the other teammate killed me just with a like a simple headshot
1: yeah i do have to be honest and say like something incredible about rainbow six seed is that people will message you really angry whether you're good or bad at the game <laughs>
2: yeah it is it is insanely funny just to finish the match and just get messages like this well other than that it is actually a pretty fun game it it's very different. For, uh, I don't think I've ever seen another shooter quite like it. It's you know it's a tactical shooter. Shooter teams of five. One team defends an objective while one team has to uh, secure it. And it is very fun. It's very uh, very competitive. <laughs> its competitive nature is so large that eventually, instead of just having like your regular ranked playlist that has like a lot of like more specific like game settings and stuff. Eventually, they raised that to having to be level 50 and released a new mode that was just yeah. all of that without the ranking system that you get at, like, level 10.
1: What What's kind of funny is, originally, it didn't have a level for uh, ranked, and then they moved it to 20. I was... Or no, sorry, they moved it to level 10, and then literally the day after I hit level 10, they moved it to 20.
2: And then at some point, they moved it to 30,
1: yeah, and then they moved to 30, and then they moved it to 50, because they're just like, people are people that are bad at this game are able to get into ranked, and we have to stop that.
2: <laughs> I assume at some point it hit 42, but I was not around to see that. <laughs> but it is definitely a fun game. You just have to get around the toxicity that comes with the players.
1: My friends were so much better at that game than me, too, because... <laughs> It would be their play of the game, and it would almost always be like a really, really high precision headshot or something like that. Because it doesn't show a play of the game, it shows the last kill of a round. But for them, it would almost always be like, you know, a really precise headshot or somebody like running into a trap of theirs. And then for me, it would almost always be me wandering into a room and then just like not even looking down the sights and just shooting all around me. (laughs)
2: My, my favorite thing that I've uh, had with it is making my teammates mad. Because I've been playing with a group of friends who have played it like for years. Some of them being almost level 200. And like they're better at the game itself than me. But I have played shooters for a very long time. Halo 2, as I've said multiple times on this podcast, including earlier this episode, is one of the first games I've ever played. So they may be better at this game than me. But I am a better, uh, I'm a better shot. So there are a lot of times where I just make them mad by getting like a real clean headshot that would take them a good bit to land, and it's fun every time. <laughs> but other, other than uh, me playing one of the most toxic games I've ever seen, Jason, what have you been doing?
1: So I might have mentioned it on the podcast a few months ago, but I decided back then that I was going to play through the entire Arkham series and get the platinum trophy on PlayStation for all of them. And then I played through Arkham Asylum and got the platinum trophy on it and decided I was done. But now it's time for part two. Uh, And I'm working on Arkham City, which is significantly bigger than Arkham Asylum, both like it has a longer story, it's a bigger map, there are more Riddler trophies to find, which is gonna be the bane of my existence. Uh, And then there are more challenge maps. And I'm sure that there are harder ones, too. And you have to do a bunch of them as different characters, too. So it's all going to add up. But I've been playing on hard because I had not played it on hard previously. And um, I started it a few months ago, like when I finished playing Arkham Asylum. And then I put it down. Um, So when I picked it back up, I, I wasn't far before the fight with, uh, the big fight with Mr. Freeze, where he, like, learns from everything you do, and it's a really hard fight.
2: That's such a good boss fight.
1: <laughs> it is a really good boss fight that I just did the other day, but when I first picked up the game, I was in an area that was, like, pretty difficult, where everyone had guns, and I died, like, probably 15-20 times in one sitting before I could, like, figure out how to get out of the situation, and I just imagined that it was probably really hard for Abby to watch. I
2: really do not like the hard difficulty of Arkham City because the hard difficulty for Arkham Asylum is perfect. Like enemies have a little bit more health, not too much. But the biggest thing that makes it harder is it gets rid of the counter, uh, the counter flash above enemies heads, which I think is 10 times better than just giving enemies twice as much health
1: i also played arkham asylum on hard mode arkham city brings back the counter flash on hard mode for some reason which i guess it needed to because if you went straight from arkham asylum playing on hard to arkham city playing on hard and suddenly you just got like beat down by three guys at once it probably would be really annoying
2: yeah i i just i don't like how the compromise for getting rid of that in arkham city was making it to where enemies just had a lot more health and did a lot more damage
1: i don't have a problem with them having more health i think honestly the health's fine uh i do think it's annoying that enemies with guns will just two shot you when they threw so many of those on like every rooftop in the game so sometimes you'll just be like flying by a rooftop and an enemy with a gun will happen to see you and he'll shoot you out of the air and you're dead i think
2: having enemies with guns do a good bit more damage is fine during like Predator missions like i think that i think that really raises the stakes of that but getting like hit from a single bullet when you're flying through the air that is pretty annoying (laughs) i wish they could like change the difficulty for both like make like technically make them like two different enemy types or something i don't really know how it i'm sure there's a better system when it comes to game development i don't know anything about game development (laughs) but if they could just like switch Switch it to where the random rooftop enemies, like, they're not going to kill you one hit. And then the Predator Mission ones, they might. I think that would make it a pretty good trade.
1: It's still really fun. And I'm excited to get to do the challenge maps as Nightwing, my favorite DC <laughs> character. Speaking of, though, I was when Gotham Knights comes out, I was planning on playing as Red Hood. I've been changing my mind. I think I'm going to play as Robin. I, I just like oh, Robin, like, aesthetically a lot better than Red Hood in this game. From what they've she- shown so far.
2: I don't remember. Does he have a sword in this? No,
1: he has a bow staff.
2: Ah, that's cooler.
1: I mean, I'll probably play as Nightwing primarily, but then Robin is my number two.
0: I'll play the game.
1: But yeah, I guess that's enough for me. Jordan, what have you been up to?
0: Well, uh, I've actually been replaying Borderlands 2, which uh, we've already discussed quite a bit of Borderlands 2. So I'll talk about an album instead. My favorite band, at least for the last couple of years, definitely through like the quarantine times where I was... At an emotional low, uh, was the band Camp. That's C A A M P. I really, really love the style of their music. They're sort of a. It's really hard to describe. The (laughs)
2: alternative.
0: Yeah. They have like a folksy, bluegrassy kind of vibe, but lyrically and thematically, they are very alt. Like they are very much in the alternative scene. And I really, really like that combination. I think the first, term I, first time I heard their music was the song By and By came on the Alt Nation radio, uh, XM radio station. And it's like a very twangy country-ish kind of guitar pickup. And I thought like, this makes no sense on this station at all. But then I heard it a couple more times and started to really like appreciate its, its style and their sound. And I really fell in love with their whole first album, or not first album, but the whole album that By and By was on. And they just put out a new album about, it's probably been about a month and a half ago now, uh, called Lavender Days. And I won't say it's my favorite album of all time or anything, but it's the quickest that I've just totally fallen in love with an album. Every song on it is exceptional. I listen to it literally multiple times every day and have for weeks now, (laughs) like, it is such a good album through and through and it's it's really cool because it's both an evolution of their music but it doesn't change what makes them unique. And I think that that's always like the best thing that an album can do for the artist is show you more of them but not replace what you love about them. Okay. So I'm just I'm really really impressed with this album and like their music as a whole which I've really only even known about for like two, two and a half years now even though they've been together for several so you should check it out if you like you know like folksy type of alternative music which there is a surprising amount of these days <laughs> uh, the, the band is uh, Camp C-A-A-M-P and the album is Lavender Days it, D-A-Y-S not, not like Days D-A-Z-E you know (laughs) i have only listened
2: to their album by and by but it is it is really good i do have to say though in the song by and by which i think is great and probably probably the best off the album uh but for some reason i just hate the line are you a life force don't know what it is about it it just feels out of place (laughs) to me in the song It,
0: it does and actually that's that's one of my favorite things about this new album is a lot of the songs turn into something else specifically the song the otter which was like the first uh, single i heard one. of the that song i really like that, that one's, one it's probably my favorite song off the album now but the first time i heard it it drove me absolutely insane because it starts with this very like funny and silly and like this very basic rhyme it's I am floating in deep water like the unfamiliar otter in love with someone's daughter. I'm going to lose float. And it's that which is like ridiculous. It was really just like they they wanted to say the line, I'm in love with someone's daughter. And they just like Googled words that rhyme with that and built the song around it. But what I love about the song and why it's really, really grown on me is that's the first verse. And the chorus is like, how did the world begin and when will it end? (laughs) Like, like it starts with this like silly, like funny love song type thing. And it evolves into this very existential song about like, what is existence? (laughs) And I really love that. A couple of songs on the album make similar jumps. There's another really good one called apple tree blues, which starts as like very generic bluegrass lyrics and turns into like Hasn't organized religion really hurt us all? <laughs> and I really love stuff like that. I really love when music evolves over the course of just a song. So I-, I really like when songs do that.
1: I freaking love when they take put the put the freaking lime in the coconut and <laughs> shake it all up.
0: That's what music was supposed to be, and we got it wrong. Every song since. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that just about does it for part one. Of our fiftieth episode special, we'll be coming back next time. We're gonna get into some more games. We're gonna talk more about our game experiences and what you know. We're we're trying to give you our resume for why you should care what we think about <laughs> video games. So please consider everything we say very seriously.
1: I think it's really important with uh, just any critics that you're listening to to kind of get an idea. If- what they're into for sure because for then sure. you can tell well i mean i agree with this critic about this this and this but uh, there's a new game coming out i want to hear their take on it
0: yeah for sure and uh you know it's also just good for us to reflect and contemplate what makes a video game good for us as well okay. it makes us better reviewers for it
1: i've wanted to do this episode for a long time and i think this 50th uh, episode is a, is a good time for it
0: we got it We got it a lot better.
1: Yeah, I mean, we may have forgotten to even tweet about the previous episode, yeah. <laughs> but this one we're going to advertise the crap out of. Yeah, we're going to post it
2: on 4 <laughs> We're going to yeah. post
0: it on Tinder. Speaking of posting, if you want to engage with us to give your thoughts on the show or your reviews for recent release games or any suggestions you want to give us at all, we have a lot of ways you can do that. First, on Twitter at tbmcast second on instagram at totally biased media third on email my favorite social media site uh, you can send emails to totally at gmail.com we really want to hear from you however you know you want to whatever you want to tell us about the show any suggestions i promise we do take them seriously if you want to check out more of our stuff, we try and stream at least once every other week on twitch.tv slash Media. We'd also love to hear suggestions on what we should stream. You know, we thought we'd be streaming a lot more new release games, but there have been one and a half games that have come out in the year 2022. So, you know, our options have been limited. We want to know what you want to see. But for the Totally Biased Media podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup.
1: I'm Jason Simmons. I'm Jackson Walker. You just felt the bias.
0: Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> and now, totally biased media.